All right, we finally have some insights into the election outcomes in the U.S. and how it affects one very special asset class, munis. Here's what matters. Live from New York City, I'm Lauren Goodwin, and this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we bring you the best insights from across the New York Life Investments platform because we believe that by sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of November 14th, 2022, and today we're talking all things municipal bonds, or munis. Midterm election results also gave us a little bit of something to chew on over the weekend, and although nothing is final, it seems overwhelmingly likely that we will have a split Congress. And this works out perfectly for our subject today because munis potentially stand to be particularly affected by policies tied to election outcomes at the federal, state, and even local levels. So to help us cover that, we're so excited to host Francis Lewis, Senior Managing Director and Portfolio Manager at Mackay Municipal Managers. We often rely on Francis and her team's insights in this very complex asset class, and we're thrilled to have her today. Francis, welcome to the program. Thank you, Lauren and Julia. So Francis, I'd like to kick things off today with some questions about the fundamentals of the asset class, and then Julia will come in and discuss the election results. So let's start at just the highest level. Define your investable universe. What are municipal bonds and and what sort of munis does Mackay municipal managers invest in? Municipal bonds are issued by typically by state and local governments and their enterprise institutions to finance capital projects and infrastructure projects at the state and local level. That's why we find that the election is most important to understand how the state and local governments will be moving forward with their administrations. As you may know, the municipal market is highly fragmented, $4 trillion market with over 50,000 issuers. That's seven times the amount of issuers that we see in the corporate market. So we tend to look at the market as a very dislocated, fragmented market. Our approach is very credit research intense, where we look at bottom-up, looking at credits and a specific value to look at how to put them in our portfolios for a total return relative value approach. Now, that what you're describing with respect to credit analysis sounds very helpful because municipal bonds are in the midst of their largest ever outflow cycle, consistent with the broad bond sell-off we've seen across the market this year. But municipal bond fundamentals seem incredibly robust. So what's your perspective on that? Why are the fundamentals looking so good? No, you're right. Munis, as well as most asset classes in 2022, have seen an incredible outflow. In fact, this is the longest outflow cycle ever experienced in the municipal market. Over 44 weeks, over $120 billion of outflows from the municipal market. This is primarily due to mutual fund outflows. The municipal market is a heavy retail market. Over 70% of the ownership in the municipal market is in the retail individual investor, mom and pop investors. So just as the outflows and the credit cycle has created a lot of volatility across all asset classes that's also impacted the municipal market. But on the credit fundamental sides, we still feel the municipal market is very strong. We feel that the the sell-off is not due to credit in 2022, purely a technical factor, because the credit side of the market still continues to be really strong. And that's 
basically for two reasons. The amount of federal support that the market was able to achieve through federal stimulus through COVID. There was over six programs, over $800 billion of federal support that was put into the municipal market for state and local governments to recoup some of the lost revenues that occurred during COVID, as well as offset some of the additional expenses, and also to be able to use for lost economic programs that were impacted by COVID. And those federal funds are now able to be used by state and local governments through 2024. So we're seeing that state and local governments have a significant amount of additional liquidity and balance sheet strains to get them through recovery from COVID. And also importantly, the COVID recovery has been very strong for state and local governments as tax revenues, even though there is an inflationary impact on it, we find that those revenues have actually been improving because of inflation and the economic recovery. Uh, most state and local taxes are primarily collected from income taxes, sales taxes, and property taxes. And all of those revenues have seen large significant increases, even double-digit increases from 2021, and now even exceeding levels that were tax revenue collections from pre-COVID 2019 levels. I'd love to jump in here on an inflation follow-up, Francis, because last week, the October CPI numbers came in lower than expected for the first time in months and months. It was the first good news that we've really gotten on this front in a while. So as you mentioned, rising inflation has it sometimes benefited at least the fundamentals of munis, but overall, rising inflation and the resulting interest rate hikes have taken a big toll on the bond market more broadly. So how does that balance work for munis? Are there any specific implications that we should know? Well, like I said, the inflationary market has been actually a credit positive for the municipal market. But that being said, we're still seeing a large sell-off in yields. But that being also said, we're finding that this is an opportunity, also like what we're calling a once-in-a-decade opportunity, because yields have increased so much in 2022 that we're now showing yields that we haven't seen for over a decade, providing great opportunity to investors. And we also see that munis have only experienced a downturn greater than 5% seven times in the last 20 years. And each time that we've seen that downturn, we've seen the sub subsequent 12-month return actually recovered that more than 5% recovery, and then sometimes even a double-digit return. So what we're expecting, we can't really say what will be the recovery here, but we see that if history actually shows any kind of precedent, that when munis have had a downturn, the following 12-month return is actually a full recovery of that loss, if not a double-digit return, even more than that loss. Now, you mentioned the the technical side of the sell-off that we've seen this year, and this is a story that that we find very compelling as well. Does that mean if we tend to see a 12-month recovery in munis after a downturn that you expect the outflows or the technical nature of the outflows to turn around here in the next 12 months? Well, that's the big question, and we're all closely following the outflow cycle. We did see last week with the CPI print that the munis printed one of their strongest days last Thursday, and the market today is, is showing similar returns. But we do know that through history also, we can go back and see that the outflow cycles quickly recover from the outflows once we start seeing positive returns. So positive returns will eventually net positive flows back into the market. Now, when it comes to the fundamentals ahead, you know, we're expecting from a top-down perspective to see economic growth slowing over the course of the next 12 months. And also for federal government largesse, both from the fiscal side and also from the monetary side to be tightening. So after a couple of years of very accommodative policy, we expect to see some more restrictive policy ahead. Will those factors impact the credit quality or credit fundamentals in the municipal market? 
You know, that's a good question. And we're actually closely following that as well, because we do expect that there will be a slowdown. I mean, the, the economic recovery that we've seen post-COVID it, it is more than likely not sustainable. And we know that that will impact state and local governments. But we also are very comfortable, like I said, with the credit perspective, because of the strong tax revenue collections, we're seeing state and local governments actually have been able to improve their balance sheets, increasing their reserve. State rainy day funds are now averaging up over 12%. Pre-COVID, those averages were about 8%. So going into any kind of economic slowdown or a possible recession, we do feel that state and local governments will have the benefit of stronger balance sheets and reserves and liquidity to offset some of the revenue losses. Francis, let's pivot to the midterms now. So as Lauren mentioned at the top of the episode, we finally have something to go on, even though the results still aren't yet final. What we do know is that Democrats will keep the Senate majority regardless of how the Georgia Senate runoff pans out. And we also know that there's at least an overwhelming likelihood that Republicans will take the majority in the House. So the result is a divided Congress. What does that mean for munis, Francis? And what policies are you most looking out for in that environment? Yes, like I said, we we closely follow the election cycles. In fact, we published a piece several weeks ago talking about the impact of midterm elections on the municipal market and saying that we follow all of the top federal elections and state and local government elections as well, because we believe that those elections decide the leadership and the management of government and kind of set the pace for public policy and actually even debt issuance. At the federal level, we do expect that there will be a divided Congress still. I think that is to be determined, but looks more and so likely to be the case. That means that I think there will be more of a status quo and what kind of we're talking about is sort of a legislative impasse, which is probably good for the municipal market right now, where we're not going to see any significant additional legislative or policy changes that could somehow affect fiscal policies, which will affect revenues that flow down to the state level and eventually local levels, and also no significant changes to tax policy at this point. We follow that closely at the federal level. You know, in one of our previous episodes on these midterms, we mentioned how a divided Congress scenario wasn't great from the getting things done perspective, but it did reduce political risk to the market. So it's interesting to hear perspective on that when it comes to munis specifically. Exactly. I think one of the largest sell-offs that we've seen in the municipal market was one of the more recent ones, excluding COVID, was following the 2016 election and the election of Donald Trump and the impact on, on taxes. So that significantly affected the municipal market in 2016 and 2017. Right. And it's not even just about the federal side of this. You mentioned that you pay a lot of attention to state and local as well, kind of true to the name of municipal bonds. So what are some examples you'd like to throw out in terms of the effect of state and local policies, or at least what considerations are at play here for the asset class? No, exactly. In 2020, the midterm election was very important at the state level. There were 36 governor's offices that were up for re-election. We follow those closely again, like I said, because we consider the state governors to be the managers and sort of the policy setting leaders up for the state. So we follow what the governor's policies are. In this case, in the outcome shows that there were 26 governors that were reelected. Again, we find that to provide some stability to the market because we consider the incumbents to be sort of a continuation of previous administrations. We have an understanding of what their policies are, what their agendas are, how they work with their state legislatures, and we can then determine how they will move forward. In times when you have a lot of turnover at state governor's levels, there could be a delay in getting the new administration 
organization up and running and figuring out what their policy positions will be. So we're positive about the outcomes of the elections. We had five governors in the top municipal issuer states that were all reelected, state of California, New York, Illinois, Texas, Florida. All of those governors were reelected as incumbents. We understand what their policy positions are, how they work with their legislatures and how they work with their local governments at the state level as well. So we feel that that will be a positive or a neutral going forward into the next administration. We're looking at to see at the state level what the impact on debt issuance. There were $66 billion of ballot measures that were up on the ballots at, at various state levels. And so we look at those ballot measures to see how they will impact debt issuance. There were some significant approvals at the state level. State of New York approved a $4.2 billion Clean Energy Act bill that will provide support for climate change and clean energy approvals throughout the state. So we'll be looking for more issues from the state of New York for that. There was also several large municipal local school district elections that were approved in California and in Texas, which provide more funding at the local level as well. Additionally, we were following very closely some ballot measures that were impacting income taxes at the state level. In the state of California, they had Prop 30, which was a millionaire's tax that provided a surcharge on incomes of over $2 million that would have been used for clean energy projects. That was not passed, which was an interesting result because it was to be used for clean energy and electric vehicle transmissions, but it also would have provided a very heavy surcharge to an already heavily taxed state of California. There was a millionaire's tax that was passed in the state of Massachusetts where they provided a surcharge for incomes of over a million dollars, and that will take effect now starting in 2023. We think that will be very beneficial to the municipal market as it will make Massachusetts bonds much more attractive to high income earners in the state of Massachusetts as they will be looking for the benefit of the tax exemption. That tax referendum was passed to provide support for education and transportation within the state and was heavily supported. So we do follow the state and local elections quite closely to see how it impacts policy and bond issuance. A tour de force of investment ideas or or certainly ideas to consider as we look to the year ahead that takes us to our portfolio pause, a segment of the program where we share investment ideas. Now, Francis, not all of our listeners will be familiar with the tax side of the municipal market and the tax benefits that municipal bonds can potentially provide. Can you explain how that works and what types of investors this tends to appeal to? Like I said, the municipal market is primarily issued as a tax-exempt basis, meaning that the income that it's earned on the bonds is exempt from federal, in some case, state and local taxes. So we look at that as the benefit for high-income earners. So we see that municipal bonds are attractive not only on an absolute basis, but more importantly, on a tax-exempt basis, where we look at the muni treasury ratio, which is a common ratio that we look at in the municipal market, where we look at the yield on a AAA muni towards a similar maturity AAA treasury bond and look at the ratio to determine what kind of benefit there would be to the tax exemption. Typically, that ratio is less than one or 100%. And currently, that ratio has been closer to 100%. And in some cases, on the long end of the bond market structure, you're seeing ratios of over 100%, meaning that munis are cheap to treasuries and showing a very attractive entry point in the municipal market right now. But what about the taxable muni space? You said that the majority is tax exempt, but for for the munis that are taxable, it's a sector that our audience might be less familiar with. So can you speak to why issuers would issue taxable bonds and how investors should view taxable munis within a long-term asset allocation? Yes, we have seen a significant increase in taxable issuance over the last 10 years, predominantly following the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which eliminated the ability for municipal issuers to have the advantage of advance refunding outstanding bonds. 
Typically, munis are issued with a 30-year maturity with a 10-year call and the ability to advance refund at the call dates. That was eliminated in the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. Because of that, issuers were then looking to provide some kind of debt service relief in the market by issuing in the taxable market, municipal market. This was actually really heavily used during COVID, during 2020 and 2021, as municipal issuers were looking for debt service relief and had the ability to refund long bonds with higher coupons to even taxable coupons at a lower yield and get some debt service relief. So we saw a significant increase in taxable issuance in 2020 and 2021. The other benefit of the taxable municipal market has to do with the long duration aspect of it, as well as the high quality. So we've seen a lot of institutional and foreign investors take advantage of the taxable municipal market with the ability to have high credit, low correlation asset class with long duration that they can put in their portfolios. I think it's important to even say, even in this market, you're seeing that there's strong, compelling reasons for the taxable municipal market. Just last week, the state of California issued $550 million of taxable geo debt. AA rated taxable California bonds came with a 450 yield on a taxable municipal AA bond for a 20 31 maturity. So a lot of yield for a taxable municipal bond with low credit and strong security. I hesitate to ask this question because you've already given us so many good investment ideas and opportunities in the municipal market right now, but I'm curious if you have a favorite well, we continue to think that there will be a significant snapback to the market. We are waiting for the outflows to subside, if not totally reverse. We think that will eventually come. But because of that, we continue to see that there's strong value in the long portion of the municipal market, where we're seeing that the treasury market continues to be inverted at the long end of the curve, where twos to thirties are showing a negative spread. We're seeing the municipal market has a significant, almost 88 basis point positive spread steepness in the municipal curve. That primarily has to do because of the level of outflows and we're not seeing significant mutual fund inflows back into the long end of the curve. But we do think that when that does occur, there will be a strong recovery there. Again, we focus on the, the high quality of the asset class. Credit quality is strong. So we feel that when this recovery does occur, that there will be a, a positive snapback. And here too, I feel that you've provided us so many reasons within your answers already that why credit selection is so important in this highly fragmented and very distinct market, but let's put a finer point on it as a last question for our listeners. Why is active management important in the muni space? Well, because we found through the, through the cycles that there is significant dislocation and we can have the benefit of active management and finding good opportunities. As I said, we're a credit focus shop where we we look at individual credits and security selection is very important to, to our portfolio composition. And our team has a deep tenure of understanding the municipal market and the ability to recover from any of these dislocations that the market does experience. Francis Lewis from Mackay Municipal Managers. Francis, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Coming up next, next week, the Thanksgiving holiday in the U.S. keeps things quiet on the data front, but fear not, we have our final episode of midterm election coverage where we'll be discussing policy implications of the midterms with two members of New York Life's Office of Government Affairs. But that's it for today. We'll be back next week with more Market Matters. In the meantime, if you have a question or topic of interest, reach out to us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views at newyorklifeinvestments.com and click the Insights tab. Until then, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Julia Herman. See you next time.
Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamox and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I will now read our disclosures from compliance. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as at a specific date, is subject to change, and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There's no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is both a service mark and the common trade name of certain investment advisors affiliated with New York Life Insurance Company. Securities are distributed by Nylife Distributors, LLC, 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302, a wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company. Nylife Distributors, LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC. Not all products and services provided by Mikhail Shields may be available to all investors, limited by applicable laws and regulation in certain jurisdictions. Nothing stated herein should be considered as investment advice or a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment product. Any opinions expressed are the views and opinions of certain investment professionals at Mikhail Shields, which are subject to change without notice. No part of this material may be reproduced in any form or referenced in any other publication without express written permission of Mackay Shields. Mackay Shields LLC is an affiliate of New York Life Investments.